Once again, my name is Brendan, and um, I'm pastoral intern here. And honestly, we're a church that really loves visitors. And so if you are visiting us for the first time, thank you so much for coming. We, I, I mean, I'd love to meet you and, and say hi, and not in a weird, creepy way, but just in a, in a friendly way. And um, so introduce yourself. Um, that would be great. Um, look, we're finally made it through the busyness of Christmas, haven't we? And I know for many of us, it's like that whole, ah, oh, yes, made it, survived it. And, um, and so when we come to this time of the year, it can be a real time of tiredness, to be honest. I mean, that's how I feel. I, I, I honestly just feel tired. And uh, that's why we're giving this month to look at the Psalms, because the Psalms are balm for tired souls. The Psalms are really balm for tired souls. There's this quote that I love from C.S. Lewis. He says, The most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. I think that's beautiful. The same delight in God that made David dance. And so for tired souls like me, if you're anything like me, I want to just delve into some of that delight. And so that's really what my hope for us for this four-week series will be. And next month, just to give you an idea of where we're tracking, where we're going in February, we'll be uh, doing a month on, on mission, that is casting our vision for our church moving forward into, into the years to come. And so we really want to re- refresh us in the gospel next month. And then following that in March, we'll move back into our long-lost series on Acts um, that we're in the middle of. But today, really, I guess what my hope is in this message or what I'm aiming to do with this message is really strip us back to the bare essentials of of following Christ. And so we're going to be turning to Psalm 119. Not the whole thing. See the size of relief there. Uh, Just a section of it, the section entitled Mem in your Bibles. That's Psalm 119, verses 97 through to 104. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Psalm 119. I'm going to read from 97, and then I'm going to pray for us. Psalm 119, 97, says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, 
come before you this morning honestly tired and weary. Lord, I, I ask, Lord, for me and, and for us, Lord, I ask that you would grant us strength. Lord, give us a fresh taste of you this morning, Lord. Cast our eyes onto your beautiful Son, our risen Lord Jesus Christ. May we see him afresh and clearly this morning, Lord. May we taste of his goodness and his mercy afresh this morning, Lord. And may you grant us through his name and through his spirit strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, to start, I wanted to talk a little bit about joy. And it's summertime and the season of festivities has passed. And I was thinking a little bit about joy and things that bring me joy and things that I just experience joy in. And I just couldn't get past the ashes, to be honest. And uh, really, I just it's summer and, oh, my goodness. And I, I know because now... With dating Charlotte, she's not familiar with cricket. I realise that some of you are not initiated, haven't been initiated into the joy of the ashes. And so I want to take you there this morning. I want to help you to experience a little bit of the joy that I feel in the ashes. And really, the ashes, you might be asking, what is this ashes? What is this talk of ash? What's going on, Brendan? And uh, it all started back in 1882, as a matter of fact. And 1882, what was significant about the English summer of 1882? It's the first time that an Australian team beat the English on home soil. And one of the English papers called the Sporting Times published a comical obituary in 1882 on August the 29th following uh, the English team's defeat at the Oval. And the obituary, this uh, mock obituary, goes like this. It says, In affectionate remembrance of English cricket, which died at the Oval on the 29th of August, 1882. Deeply lamented by a large circle of sorrowing friends and acquaintances, rest in peace. Note well, the body will be cremated and the ashes taken to Australia. And from this article, this comical satire, um, the ashes has become renowned. And the thing that I love about that statement is its timelessness, isn't it? The English cricket, which died at the Oval on August 29th, 1882. I think that's true even to today that English cricket has well and truly died. And um, I just love watching the Poms get thrashed, to be honest. It's so good after so many years now of sitting under the mocking of Dave Taylor. It has been <laughs> glorious. You know, I love seeing, like, it's like a, a, a re- revival from 1985. Um, Mitch Johnson with his massive tash, you know, bowling at, like, 150 kilometers per hour, these like vicious bounces that are like breaking people's bones. It's just glorious excitement seeing the crowds like chain, choo, 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 and he paces up and another Englishman is like diving out of the way and getting out. I just love it. I mean, I love just, you know, uh, turning on the cricket 
and, um, and just throughout the day just wondering what the score is, what's going on, trying to, trying to be polite and seem like I'm interested in people's conversations as they're talking to me. But like on, on, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder what the score is. I wonder if anyone's out. I wonder what's going on. Like trying to be friendly and listen, but just distracted because of the joy that, you know, I feel at the cricket. And there's, of course, the text messages from Taylor, which I just love. It's so good. Um, things like, I think a recent one was losing the will to live. Um, it's a taste of joy, and for me, at least. Um, for other people, clearly, it's, it's a sorrowful experience, but it's a picture of joy. And so, this morning, I, I just want us to look at an even greater joy than the passing joy of a successful Ashes tour. And that is the, the joy of coming to know Christ through his word. The joy of knowing Christ through his word. And I think, I mean, I honestly believe that I'm not alone in feeling tired at this time of year. You know, I, I think if some of you are honest, you're also feeling tired just like me. And I think the thing with tiredness is, with tiredness, we can easily forget We can forget. We can forget the joy that there is to be found in God's word, in chewing on it, in meditating on it, in soaking deeply and in sitting under it, in knowing more about him. We can forget. And when it comes to following Christ, we can think burden, obligation, Mundane. When it comes to reading his word, if we're really honest, we can think stale, overly familiar, wearisome, guilt-causing chore. And so for us, if that in any way describes you, I mean, I just have a prayer. And my prayer for you at the beginning of this year and at the beginning of, of, of this message and the one hope that I have for this message is, that, is simply this, is that God would stir you up to delight in his word. That he would stir you up to just experience joy in his word as you read about Jesus Christ. So that's where we're tracking. That's my one hope. This message I've entitled Delight in the Word of Christ. And I've just got three real simple points. And they are His Word, His Wisdom, Our Worship. His Word, His Wisdom, Our Worship. Well, point one, His Word. Let's get stuck in. Um, Just by way of context, um, for this psalm, Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm, I'm sure many of you know, by far in the whole Bible. Uh, It's actually one massive acrostic poem. Well, actually, more accurately, it's actually 22 miniature acrostic poems all linked together um, in with each line of the acrostic poems that it contains, beginning with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes from A to B all the way through to the end. 
each of the 22 poems, although they're not in any order in terms of structure or anything like this, have a, have a common theme, a common thread that ties them all together. They're all about delighting in, enjoying, obeying, following God's word. It's all about, it's one giant poem about God's word. 22 individual mini psalms, each with eight lines. And so we're going to pick the 13th psalm of Psalm 119, if I can put it that way, to to look at, to study today. And so uh, why don't you open up your Bibles again and keep your finger in that page. We're going to begin from the very beginning of Mem, that 13th of the Psalms. We're going to read the, the first bit again for us. The psalmist writes, he says, he says, Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. It's it's emphatic. He's saying, oh, my heart overflows with desire for your law. That word law, actually in Hebrew is Torah. Torah is the name for the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which for this psalmist is his Bible. And so really this is not just Oh, I love your law. I love just the, the, the law bits of God's word. It's, I love the whole thing, is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I love God's word. I love it, he says. Well, let's read on. It is my meditation all the day. It's my meditation all the day. That word meditation, it means like thoughtful contemplation, like he's thinking about it all the time. I mean, think with me about something that you find real joy in, something that you you absolutely delight in, and how sometimes you can find your mind just like wandering a little bit to think about it. I mean, maybe you're like me and it's the cricket and, you know, you're meant to be doing work and then suddenly you're like, oh, I wonder, you know, how, how uh, Clarkie's doing out there. And then suddenly you imagine yourself as though you're a gifted cricketer and your mind is suddenly lost in this, like, fantasy land of cricket because you, you find such joy in cricket that your mind is just constantly thinking about it, enjoying it. And maybe for you it's not cricket. I mean, maybe for you think, oh, my goodness, friends, stop harking on about cricket. Uh, maybe for you it's something else. You know, maybe you're married and it's a spouse and you just, you know, you're newly married and throughout the day you just find your mind just thinking about him or thinking about her. You know, you just, you just find yourself just thinking about some little idea, sneaky idea you've got about how to bless him or her or, you know, because you're in love. You keep, you keep thinking about that person. You know, maybe it's for you, it's that, it's that holiday that, you know, that you're planning and you've been thinking of, you've been saving for, and, you, and you're like, yeah, you know, suddenly, you know, you're, you're meant to be, you know, in your devotional time, and then suddenly your mind is like, yeah, and then I think we'll, we will go to the Shangri-La, and I think we'll spend our first three nights there. And somehow, just suddenly, your mind is switched to thinking about this thing that you find joy in, that you delight in, holidays. And that's the picture that we've got here. The psalmist says, you know, because he loves God's word so much, it's his meditation. He just is constantly thinking on it all the day. Well, let's jump down. He just doesn't think about it all the day. He's, he is passionately, passionately loves God's word. Read on down to verse 103. And I just love this verse. It's so good. It says, how sweet are your words, the psalmist says, to my taste. 
Isn't that a beautiful picture? How sweet your words are to my taste. You know, literally in Hebrew it says, how your words, they slide down my palate. It's like a succulent morsel, the psalmist is saying. It's like something that just is so tasty, just like, oh, it's nice in my mouth. That's, what this, that's the picture that he wants you to see. God's word to him is just like this delicious, like fine piece of food, sweeter than honey. I think we live in this world where honey is like not very exciting. Like it lives, you know, in the aisle with all the other spreads. You know, like you think of like choice meals, like honey isn't exactly high on the list of things. You know, so you're just going to undo it. You put it on a piece of toast or something unexciting. But this is a desert people. This is a people that for most of their lives would be living on bread, you know, thin breads and vegetables. Your honey is a is a delicious delicacy. It's like a choice of meals. It's like wag, wagyu beef, you know, like done medium rare, you know, like with a nice little, you know, sprinkling of like pepper on top, and you got your like your little fine, like really fine mash. Like, oh, I mean, that's for me, obviously. It's like what I enjoy. It's like you think about your finest food, something you just find just so delicious that you delight in. Like that's what he's talking about. He's like, it's even sweeter than that. It's so sweet to me. It slides. It's just beautiful. That's God's word to me. Well, this is a psalm that's full of references like that to God's word. This is a psalm that's full of references to delight in God's word. And so I just want to read you a few, just a few. Like there's so many that I could go on all day. Verse 14, it says, the psalm says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 20, he says, My soul is consumed, consumed with longing for your rules at all times. In 72, he says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. In verse 111, he says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. 127 says, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Above fine gold. Verse 131 says, and I love this verse. Oh, it's good. I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. It's like a deer thirsty for water. That's what the psalmist is for God's commandments. Verse 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Verse 167 says, my soul keeps your testimonies, I love them exceedingly. This psalmist is a man who delights in God's word, absolutely delights in his word. And my question for us is, I mean, how can we find this joy in God's word? I mean, how can we find it? I mean, I think if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, this isn't always my experience. Like, I'm not always just delighting in God's word and longing for it and, like, looking forward to spending time reading his word. Not at all. I mean, there was a season in my life where I went through, it felt like a real real walk in the wilderness. It was just arid and dry. It would have been a period of about a year. And I can remember being probably in the middle of that season of me where 
uh, where just getting up in the morning to read God's Word, I wouldn't do it. Just because for me, it was just an absolute chore. And I'd find it so hard. And I'd, I'd read it and, and I'd reread it and it felt like it's just washing over my head and it, it, it lacked a joy and a passion. It was more, I was just doing it because I felt guilty about not doing it, to be honest. And I can remember speaking to one of my youth group leaders at the time and he, and he said to me, he said, he said, look, Brennan, it's not about how you feel. You know, this is God's word. It's, it's God, the creator of the universe. You should read his word. And I know that's the right answer. But for me, I just couldn't hear that. I, for, for me, it was just, it was like, God, you need to show yourself to me. I'm just not feeling it. This is a burden. This is a chore. And I wonder what your experience is. At, right at this moment, what's your experience? What is God's word for you as you wake up early in the morning to set off to school or set off to work? Is it something you delight in? What's your experience, you know, late at night when the hurts of your life just seem to overwhelm you? Where you're tired and burdened. What's God's word to you in, in, in those moments? And what's God's word to you at, at work when just it seems like stress and frustration mixed with joyless difficulty and obstacle day after day? What's God's word to you in those moments? I mean... Do you experience a joy in his word? I mean, where, where do you even find a joy like this in God's word? Well, I think we need to read on and move on to the second point, which is his wisdom. See, we're seeing the psalmist delights in God's word, in his word. Now I want to look at something about his wisdom because we see in this passage that the origin of the psalmist's joy and delight in God's word is in the wisdom that he sees in God's word. And so why don't you read with me verse 98. He says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. Read down to verse 99. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. And again in verse 100, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Understanding, understanding and wisdom. The psalmist sees God's word and he's like, this is a source of wisdom for me. And this, friends, is, is a massively countercultural claim. The psalmist sees God's word, he sees us full of wisdom, he says, oh, it's so good, I love it, I delight in it because it's so full of wisdom. But this is so countercultural, completely countercultural. I mean, in our culture, in our, in our lifetime, we've seen a technologi- technological explosion. I mean, we understand more about the world than any generation in any time ever. There's been advances in medicine. There's been advances in physics and cosmology. We understand so much. There's been massive growth in understanding about the world. And, and more than ever, we have confidence in our own ability to, to guide ourselves in the world. 
You know, I was reading just this week a, a book uh, by, it's a very uh, famous author. He's a neuroscientist called Sam Harris. And this has been a, a massively influential book. It was written just a couple of years ago. It's titled The Moral Landscape, How Science Can Determine Human Values. And Sam writes in his book, he says, Human well-being entirely depends on events in the world and on states in the human brain. Consequently, there must be scientific truths to be known about it. A more detailed understanding of these truths will force us to draw clear distinctions between, listen to this, different ways of living in society with one another, judging some to be better or worse, more or less true to the facts, and more or less ethical. Sam is saying everything in this world, everything that exists is about events in the world and it's about reactions that occur in our brains. That is the sum of who we are. And therefore, how you should live, your way of living, it's a question for science. It's something we should be able to evaluate and prove. He goes on and he says, it makes no sense at all to have the most important features of our lives anchored to divisive claims about the unique sanctity of ancient books or to rumors of ancient miracles. And he has Christianity right clear in his sights when he says this. He says, Sam says, you would put your faith for how you will live in this book? You fool! An ancient book, you would, you would choose to seek wisdom about how you're going to live your life on the rumor of some ancient miracle found in a book? Fool. You foolish person. That's not where you find wisdom. That's not where you should look to see how you should live. There's no Wisdom to be found in this? The idea of looking for wisdom in the Bible is, friends, countercultural. It flies the face in, in the face of what our culture believes. The world believes the Bible has limited to no value when it comes to determining how one should live their lives, when it comes to thinking about how should I treat others? A society doesn't say that we should turn to listen to God's word. It says we should turn to pop culture or our friends or we should look to our family or within. And, and it's not to say that there's sometimes bits and pieces of wisdom we can get from that, but look to a book. Are you serious? You know, when it comes to thinking about how generous, generous I should be and how I should spend my money, I should look to the markets. I should look to what futures are in property. I should, I, I should speak to my accountant. And bankers. But get wisdom from a book about how I should use the things that I have? Are you serious? This? I mean, when it comes to questions of what I should do with my life, how should I live? Well, our world says be true to yourself. 
Think about what you want and go for it. But to, 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 to limit yourself to this? Serious? Our world thinks this has no value. God's word has no value whatsoever for determining how we should live. But the psalmist has something very different to say. No, the psalmist in scripture sees guiding principles by, for which he should live and how he should breathe and he sees his values, he sees his worldview, he sees wisdom. He sees it here in God's word. Well, where does he get this wisdom? Well, let's read on. He firstly possesses God's word. Read again with me uh, verse 98, the second part of verse 98. He said, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. And then he says, for it is ever with me. Literally, it means, for it is mine forever. The psalmist says, I get wisdom because God's word, his commandments, they're mine. And they're mine forever. This is more than just scripture memorization. Although memorizing scripture is great, and I'd encourage you to do it. This is more than that. This is possessing it. This is treasuring God's word. He wants to store it up and he says, this word's precious, mine. And so I want to, I want to meditate on it. I want to, I want to, I want to make it my possession. I want it to well up into my heart. I want it to, to be mine, he says. I'll read on. Verse 99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. All your testimonies are my meditation. He says, I've got more understanding than all my teachers. Not meaning his elders in the church or scriptural teachers. He's talking about teachers that are ungodly. He's talking about teachers that don't know God and don't love him. He's saying, I've got more wisdom than my teachers just in the world. Why? Because I'm, I'm constantly thinking about meditating on God's word. I'm constantly dwelling on it. It's my thoughtful contemplation. And thirdly, he finds wisdom because he obeys the word. He's possessed it. He meditates on the word and he obeys it. Read 100, verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I understand more than the aged because I keep your precepts. You know, according to Scripture, true wisdom doesn't necessarily come with age. There is a type of wisdom to come with age. But you can also be very old and, and very foolish. And true wisdom comes from, scripturally speaking, fear of the Lord. That's a, that's a reverent love for him. And keeping God's word shows that we love him. Keeping God's word demonstrates wisdom. And so the psalmist says, he says, I have more Wisdom, more understanding than the age. Why? Because I keep your precepts. Because I obey. 
Well, let's keep reading on. Verse 101, he writes, again along the same lines, he says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. And I think this is the key to understanding how keeping God's word demonstrates wisdom. It's because in God's word, we're being taught by him. We're being taught by God himself. We're being taught by the one who spun the stars in the sky. We're being taught by the one who made everything we see. The one who has a purpose and a plan for us, for all of mankind. We're being taught by him. He's teaching us. And he knows how best to live in the world he's made. He knows how best to live. Because he made it. He made us with a plan and a purpose to be in it. And so he shows us how to live with the grain of the universe that he's created in his word. And so when we read his word, we're blessed. Psalm 119 begins with that very exclamation. The psalmist says at the very first verse of Psalm 119, he says, Blessed, blessed, the word means extremely, abundantly happy. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are you when you live according to God's word, according to his Torah. You're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because it's God's law. Because he's the God who made and loves the universe, who designed it for you to live in, and he knows how best for you to live. And that's why in the very next verse, after our psalm, our section of the psalm is finished, come those famous words. Psalm 119 verse 105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That word lamp, it's like a a little clay earthen jar that sits on the ground giving light so you don't trip over. And the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. It stops me from stumbling because it's good. And because it's the word of God himself who's teaching me about how to live. I want to say, keep this word and you'll prosper. I mean, you might not be physically wealthy. In fact, it might be the opposite. You might lose all of your money through being faithful to God's word. And your, your life might end even before it would have otherwise but you will prosper because it's the word of the God of the universe who made you, who knows you, who loves you. The psalmist delights in the word because in it he's found wisdom. Well, point three. His word, he delights in it. His wisdom, there's wisdom that he's found and he delights in it because he finds this wisdom Point three, our worship. And the question, you know, I find myself asking, and maybe you're asking, is, Brennan, how does this nearly 3,000-year-old psalm speak to me today, this side of the cross? 
Well, I think it speaks to us in a couple of ways. And firstly, it speaks to us because for us, the word is a word about Christ. It's a word about him. You know, scripture from beginning to end is 66 books, but it's one story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of how we sold ourselves into slavery and death right back at the very beginning. You know, in the book of Romans, Paul writes and he says, for the wages of sin is death. And God said to us at the very beginning, he said, eat of the fruit of the tree and you will die. But we as people in all our lives, we've chosen death over God. We've chosen to forsake him. We've chosen to live our own ways. We've chosen to live even more than that. We've chosen to live in rebellion. We've chosen to spit in his face by living how we want to live, by not seeking his word for wisdom, but seeking ourselves first. But the Bible's a story of redemption. It's a story about buying you, buying a people out of slavery. It's about God's pursuit of you, his love for you, his willingness to pay the price you deserve to buy you back. He wasn't going to leave you sold. So 2,000 years ago, God sent his son for you, our Lord and Savior. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, his one beloved son, in fulfillment of scripture to die a horrible death, the worst death man has ever known, on a cross for your sin. Though he deserved nothing but praise and honor and glory, he humbled himself to die purposefully in your place. He said himself, for the Son of Man must suffer at the hands of sinners, be mocked, be killed, and three days later rise from the dead. And so having taken on that cross your punishment in full. He rose again victorious now, seated by the Father in heaven and offers free forgiveness to anyone who calls on him by name, who confesses their sins, repents and believes. Says, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. I need you. I need that price. You know, by myself, in my sin, I'm not worthy of you, but through the work of you, my Lord and Savior, I can be right with you. So I, I trust you. Lord, wash me clean. I want you to be my Lord and King. I want to follow you with my life. I put my trust in you. And so if you're sitting here today and, and you have never put your trust in him, I just want to address you. If you've never asked him for forgiveness for what you've done and say, Lord, not by my works, but by your finished work on the cross, I want to say it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad it was. It was paid in full by him. It's a scandal of the cross. And so for us, this word is all about him. It's all about God's plan from beginning to end to buy us back, to reconcile us to him. It's a word about him. You know, Colossians, Paul writes, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing praises, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Our lives are a thanksgiving because of what he's done for us. 
For us, the word is a word about Christ. And secondly, for us, the wisdom is the wisdom of the cross. Paul says, but to the world, the, the cross is folly. But to those who are perishing, the cross is folly. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. This word is our wisdom. The cross is our wisdom. God's wisdom. That we couldn't be right with him by ourselves or by our works, but that we required his son to come in our place. And so our lives are self-denial. They're picking up our cross and following him. And so in closing uh, for this message, I just want to call us to begin this year by delighting in this word. What about Christ? To begin this year by delighting in him. Because it's in this word that we know him more. It's in this word we know him more. And so I just wanted to read you some examples of what we know about him through this word. You know, in Isaiah 42, it says, Isaiah writes about Jesus. He writes, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. You know, we read this word and we learn about him. This gentle, majestic Savior who not only died in our place, but who won't break a a bruised reed, someone who's just broken and hanging in there, who's someone whose life from despair is almost smothered out, he won't extinguish. Gentle and kind. We, we, we read this word which all points about him, all tells us about him, and we, we, we delight in him. It's a, it's, it's a joy to find out more about him. Philippians 2, it says, Paul writes, he says, have this mind about you. Think this way, he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form, what a scandal, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We read this word and we we learn about him because it's all about him. And so for us, this word is our worship. 
It's our absolute worship. As we learn about him, we, we worship him. We, we worship him. We bow down at his feet under this word and, and we just give praise to him as we learn more about this glorious king. And so when the psalmist writes, when he says in, in 103, how sweet is your word to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. It's so sweet to us, isn't it? Because it's about him. The sweetness of all he's done. So I just wanted to just end here by just addressing anyone that's sitting here today and you know that you haven't been delighted in in God's word. It's not been a joy to you. It's been tired. You've been wearied. It's been a burden. It's been a chore. You've lost that first love that you once had for Christ. You read it possibly at times, but when you do, it's just a ritual for you. It's, It's not driven by a love for him. I understand that because that's been my story. And I just want to address you. I just want to say, I believe the Lord wants to reignite in your heart a passion and a love for the word of Christ. I believe he wants you to be able to say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your word. I believe that's what the Lord wants to do and I believe he will do it in your life miraculously because I believe he wants to do it by the power of his spirit. The spirit of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And the simplest way we come to experience his spirit more fully is by asking him in prayer. And so I wanted to close by praying for us. And I wanted to invite anyone um, at the end of this service who you particularly feel this is you. I just want to say, I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. And we just have myself and a couple of the life group leaders up the front. And we'd love to pray with you and just ask the Lord to, to renew that joy in his word because he wants that for you. And, and Jesus himself says, ask and it will be given to you. You know, he gives this illustration of this, of this, this man who asks his neighbor for bread. He says he's, he's not going to do it because he's asking. He's going to do it because of his boldness in asking. And he says, the Lord says, he says, if a son comes to his father, which father, when he asks for bread, will give him a serpent? And, and though you're wicked, how much more does your, your father who is in heaven love to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And so I just want to pray for you. Um, so why don't you come down the front after service and, and find me? I'd love to pray for you. But let's just close in praying and asking the Lord for help. Oh, Lord, humble king, that you would humble yourself to be born as a man in my place. Though you're the king of glory, though you would humble yourself to be born as a man in my place. Lord, how can I thank you enough for that gift? 
Lord, beautiful Savior, Savior, humble servant King, Lord of all, Lord, we worship you. We love you, Lord. We desire to learn more about you. Lord, would you reignite in our hearts a passion for your word? Lord, would you reignite in our hearts a love for your words? Lord, may your words be sweeter to us than honey. Lord, may your words be the meditation of our mouths all the day long, Lord. Not because of guilt, not because of burden, but because of joy, Lord. Cast our eyes to your Son, our beautiful Savior, Lord. May we see him more clearly. Lord, I pray for anyone, and myself included, Lord, who is prone to losing joy in your word, Lord. May the joy of our Lord be our strength. Lord, may you reignite a fire for Christ in weary, tired hearts. Lord, may we delight as we fall ever in love with you, Lord, ever learning more about you, ever delighting in who you are and what you've done. I pray this in Jesus' name.